Today, we are discussing a very interesting paper by Dr. Jared Dickinson and his group. The title of this paper, published in the Journal of Applied Physiology, is Transcriptome Response of Human Skeletal Muscle to Divergent Exercise Stimuli. With us, we have Dr. Dickinson to talk about the paper, as well as Dr. Scott Trappi from Ball State University, who is an external expert, and will add his comments and his interpretations and impressions of this work. My name is Marcus Bauman. I'm one of the associate editors for the Journal of Applied Physiology, and I will moderate this discussion. Dr. Dickinson is coming to us from Arizona State University, and this work was published fairly recently in the Journal of Applied Physiology. Dr. Dickinson, why don't you give us a brief overview of the paper, the impetus behind the work as you led into the study, and then just a very brief summary of what you found and what impact you think that has on the field going forward. The general hypothesis was that acute aerobic and resistance exercise elicit a unique transcriptional activity in the skeletal muscle. So to test this hypothesis, we recruited six young, healthy males who were considered untrained to either of these types of exercise. We had the participants performed two separate experimental trials. One trial consisted of 40 minutes of stationary cycling, and then the other consisted of about 80 total leg extension exercises consistent with uh, resistance exercise stimulus. We took biopsies from the vastus lateralis, one of the thigh muscles. We took these biopsies before the first experimental trial, and then again at one and four hours after both the acute aerobic exercise and the acute resistance exercise trial. We thought one of the unique aspects of this particular study was the incorporation of whole transcriptome RNA sequencing, which was used to identify those genes that were uniquely responsive to each of these exercise bouts. And so using this approach, we were able to identify about 50 genes that were uniquely responsive to the acute aerobic exercise stimulus and over 300 genes that were uniquely responsive to the acute resistance exercise stimulus. And so we think that uh, this study maybe provides a foundation for the continued investigation of the molecular the regulation of muscle adaptation, and we think we uncovered several potential gene targets that are unique to resistance exercise and aerobic exercise. That's a great overview. Thank you very much. Dr. Trappi, additional comments from your perspective, strengths, and the significance of this work? I like the idea. It sort of has, it's embedded in kind of a classic exercise physiology approach from its study design, incorporating modern tools, looking at this entire transcriptome response. I think more studies like this at a very basic ex-phys level are needed to understand these differences between aerobic and resistance exercise. And there's a couple things that stood out out to me, in addition to those comments, one, they lay in the foundation for unique transcriptomic signatures between these two modes of exercise, which are the two modes that are most popularly used by the general population. I think understanding these at a fundamentally molecular level is extremely important as we go forward understanding muscle and cardiovascular adaptations, in this case, muscle. The other thing I found quite interesting was not just the unique signatures, but then the common or overlapping signatures between these two modes of exercise and what molecules were equally responsive or similarly responsive, independent of the type of the exercise stimulus that was given. I want to commend Dr. Dickinson and his colleagues for the design. Typically, when we get into the literature, we don't see the same subjects do both modes of exercise. So I think that was unique because it anchors the fitness level of the individuals and seeing how the same people respond to this 
different exercise responses was excellent. And likewise, looking at the overall study design, the timing of the muscle biopsies in the early and sort of hour phase, four hour phase following the exercise were strategically pretty good time points from what we know about how muscle responds to these modes of exercise. Although we could dive in a little bit deeper on that. If you could add an additional time point on this, I understand that you have to make choices in the boardroom at the table with the design, but if you could pick an additional time point, what might you pick and why? Just a little background. The crossover design meant that these individuals were undergoing multiple biopsies, so certainly there were some decisions being made with regarding to biopsy timing. We were really interested in the one-hour time point to see if we could capture some unique early transcriptional responses. The four-hour time point was largely predicated on some of the time course studies that you've done, Dr. Trappian, and looking at the early post-exercise time point response. If I could add an additional one, to me, I think I'm very interested in what's happening the next day. I think I would have liked to include a 24-hour post-exercise biopsy. I think that there's some emerging data in literature showing that these effects can be longer lasting than the time course that most exercise studies are done. And so I think that 24-hour time point could be pretty unique in further uncovering these exercise mode-specific mechanisms. Thank you very much, both of you. And I want to congratulate you on some really interesting work. I think it's important for the field, and I particularly agree with Dr. Trappi that this sort of within subjects, randomized crossover design is a real strength of this. I want to dive in a little bit deeper on the time course. So the one-hour transcriptomic response versus the four-hour, clearly the four-hour led to a much broader array of differentially expressed genes. In looking at the data in the two modes individually, did you find any differences in terms of timing? And what I mean by that is with this overall difference with resistance exercise showing a greater impact on the transcriptome in terms of uniquely expressed genes, did you see a mode effect on timing? No, both of the exercise had substantially more differentially expressed genes identified at the four-hour time point versus the one-hour time point. So we're talking roughly 50 to 60 total genes for each exercise mode that were identified at one hour and over 500 genes that were identified with the resistance exercise trial versus just over 200 genes that were identified at four hours after the aerobic exercise trial. And one of the things that Dr. Trappi's previous research has pointed out is this potential for the delayed response and transcriptional activity to aerobic exercise. And so I do wonder if we would have had maybe a six or eight or even 10 hour post-exercise biopsy, if we would have started to see the numbers of genes that were identified is differentially expressed start to increase in response to the aerobic exercise at those later time points. In addition to variability based on timing of sample, and that was well controlled, and I agree these are two good time points to explore, there are a number of additional considerations here that I think would be useful for the field for us to talk through a little bit. I wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about the genes that, in fact, were common between the two modes of exercise. And the paper highlighted two in particular, this estrogen-related receptor and the tweaker FN14 receptor. And maybe Dr. Dickinson could comment on those a little bit. We performed our differential gene expression analysis on these different modes of exercise. There was um, a couple genes that stood out, one for each exercise mode. In response to aerobic exercise, we identified this estrogen-related receptor 
vector gamma gene that was, again, only responsive to aerobic exercise. We didn't see it respond to resistance exercise. And there hasn't been a lot of work done in human skeletal muscle with this particular gene. There's a couple cross-sectional studies that identify this gene to be more upregulated in the muscle of endurance-trained athletes versus untrained controls. And there's been a variety of different transgenic studies in mouse and cell culture models that have identified the expression of this gene to be highly associated with those types of adaptations we'd expect from endurance exercise, uh, increased capillarization, increased mitochondrial function, greater shift in the type due to the type 1 mice and heavy chain isoform. So that gene really stood out to us and, and we wanted to highlight that within the paper, again, in particular given the, the lower amount of work in human muscle with this particular gene. In the context of resistance exercise, the gene that stood out to us was this FN14, this tweak receptor gene. And while this isn't necessarily a, a new response, given previous work of a, has shown that this gene is highly responsive to resistance exercise, we thought, given the design of the study where we didn't see it respond to aerobic exercise, but we did see it respond to resistance exercise, I think further highlights the, the potential role that this gene might play in mediating those adaptations that we might expect in response to resistance exercise, as it's been shown to be highly correlated with both hypertrophy and strength gains that you've previously shown, Dr. Trappy, uh, in response to exercise. I guess it's a little more background for the listener. We first started seeing some of the FM14 responses to exercise. It goes up. It's fairly transient, typically with resistance exercise over 24 hours. But prior to some of the exercise literature coming on board, it was considered quite atrophic in nature that if you had a lot of this around in your muscle, that in fact it was one of the key markers for muscle wasting. I think the exercise data shows probably in a healthy, transient manner, it's good for muscle building. But if you do have background levels of this that are above baseline in a chronic phase, that there probably is contributing to muscle wasting. So again, it's all really relates down to what's a healthy response to some of these gene targets. I think one of the unique things about this study and why it's so important for the field to consider these early responses and if the opportunity arises to also do later responses like the 24-hour is because many of these transient early responses might be very important for the long-term physiological adaptations to these modes of training as opposed to what you just said, which is something like tweak receptor being elevated chronically, which could in fact be a bad thing. We could say the same thing about other pro-inflammatory early responses that are probably really important in the early phase, but we just don't want them elevated over the long haul. I think these studies are important, but I do think they highlight the complexities of these networks that are involved and that being identified a single point target oftentimes for these therapies is a message that's sent out. I think, I guess, in certain cases, that's still a possibility. But I think studies like this add to the possibility that that is therapies are likely to be more complex than that given the multifaceted targets exercise has. And learning how these networks operate, what the key drivers or hubs are, who the passengers are in these particular networks probably is going to be an important component for understanding how we might treat muscle therapies going forward. So I think this work is very important in helping us begin to, to see that reality. I agree with you totally. Dr. Dickinson, let's talk a little bit from a practical standpoint for people who might listen to this and want to use this as a model in their own work. Why don't you talk about some of the important considerations here, such as nutrition, both before and after the exercise session, between the time of exercise and biopsy. Maybe talk a little bit about the potential impact of age or sex differences you studied in you know a group of young men here but let's start with kind of the con- 
conditions of the day and how you controlled for variables such as nutrition that could influence this transcriptome? The primary goal was to solely focus on the response to exercise, and so we tried to minimize nutrition intake throughout the experimental trials, uh, just because we know that nutrition can change the molecular response to exercise a little bit. And so uh, we had all individuals that were studied after an overnight fast. For each of the experimental trials, we had them write down what they ate before the first one, and then to replicate that evening meal prior to the second experimental trial. And then they showed up to the lab after an overnight fast, and they did their exercise and their biopsies and were only allowed access to water throughout the time frame. So they remained fasted throughout the entire protocol. And certainly, given the subject numbers that we had for this particular study and the analysis that we're using, one of the other goals was uh, minimizing these potential sources of variability. And so we decided to study young men, given that you know sex and aging can certainly produce different responses. And again, I think this provides a foundation for the continued study of those variables and introducing sex or introducing aging as a variable to more comprehensively identify what these molecular responses might be and how we can use exercise maybe even a little bit more effectively in some of these other populations. Taking that a step further, even extending to older age groups, females, or even perhaps disease states, the fact that this data set is publicly available, in some ways this could serve as a reference standard, at least from what is found in young men. And then if people were to recapitulate those two exercise bouts, this could become very informative as they compare them to other groups. Any thoughts or comments about that? Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of our thought. You know, our, our interest is getting into more studies in older adults and even some clinical populations. But before we can do that, the traditional exercise approach is healthy young individuals as some of a control group, if you will, to kind of compare those responses. And so that's certainly our goals moving forward. And, and like you said, these data are publicly available. And I hope that they can be used beyond what we've done with them and to assist additional protocols in the future and, and interpretations of gene sets in the future that include other populations. Dr. Trappi, you have any other questions or comments? Well, I just echo what you guys are talking about. I think not just this study, but we are starting to amass these data sets in the literature and stitching some of these together will be a powerful tool going forward. And this study adds to that. The fiber type profiles are certainly controlled for between the subjects since it was a crossover design, but maybe you could comment about the potential recruitment differences between the modes of exercise and how this might have impacted the interpretation of the results. So one of the things we discuss in a paper, not necessarily as it relates to the fiber type, but the types of muscle contraction is that certainly the resistance exercise is going to include both concentric and eccentric types of muscle contractions, whereas the aerobic exercise is largely going to be concentric. On top of that, the muscle fiber recruitment is probably a little larger with the resistance exercise given the force that's needed to be produced with each contraction relative to the aerobic exercise. And so there's certainly those fiber recruitment just from a sheer total number can certainly play a role in maybe some of these responses. And then again, in terms of the fiber type that might be engaged, we see it in a lot of exercise training studies where the acute response is maybe mitigated in the trained state relative to the untrained state. And certainly arguments could be made that type 1 fiber is potentially a little bit more trained to do exercise than type 2 fibers. And so there is the thought that potentially the greater engagement of type 1 fibers that's likely to occur with the aerobic exercise. Maybe recruiting a more trained muscle relative to the resistance exercise, which is also going to incorporate the type 2 fibers and then a lot more fibers in general. And so certainly I think that that level of investment
investigation requires further investigation. I, I think that given the role that fiber type can play in just mediating whole muscle function and whole muscle power, I think examining transcriptome responses at that fiber level can be very useful in particular with identifying exercise strategies and maximizing the benefits of exercise for, for whole muscle function and power. There are a lot of advantages, as you know, to these within participant type crossover designs. One carefully considered model characteristic is the washout. And so could you comment a little bit on the washout period between the two randomized acute studies and how you thought through that process? You know, we know based on previous work that the acute response to exercise can last for multiple days. And so we certainly didn't want the trials too close to one another, given that the potential for the lingering effects of the prior exercise bout on the subsequent one. And so we washed these subjects out for about a week or so, plus or minus, I think the average is about eight, eight or nine days was the washout period. Really to try to get these individuals back to baseline prior to their second experimental trial. Also for a minimum of 72 hours before each exercise trial, participants were asked not to engage in, in any physical activity. And so we really did our best within the confines of what we had to work with to minimize any potential influence of prior exercise on the adaptation, the acute response to exercise. And we also counterbalanced these exercises. So half the participants did resistance exercise first and, and the other half did aerobic exercise first. So hopefully that counterbalance also controls for some of those potential influences. But given eight or nine days post-exercise, hopefully those are minimal. This is very nice work at the the transcriptome level, as you already alluded, the exercise response, there are myriad signals up and down regulated in response to exercise, and it's a powerful tool to study those various responses. What are some other molecular approaches, sort of some omics type mapping approaches where you see real opportunities for the field beyond transcriptomics? The field's moving in this direction with a lot of studies in the recent design of the Molecular Transducers Initiative from the NIH. Looking specifically at the design that Dr. Dickinson and his team has on the table, that early time point at one hour would probably be right for some phosphoproteomic analysis in addition to maybe some metabolomics to stitch in with the transcriptomics data they already have. They might also be very good at the four-hour time point, but certainly the one hour. And then if you look at just straight up with proteomics, maybe some key stuff that could be going on by four hours, but as we talked earlier, in the conversation, that's where later time points up to the 24-hour or even beyond would start to become informative to see how the building blocks are put together over time after exercise. All those points, I completely agree. I think it's going to be important as we continue to perform this type of acute exercise response investigation that eventually we need to couple these acute responses to phenotypical changes that occur after training. And in particular, maybe that's where the proteomics and things could come into play after a training response. And, and we can couple those proteomics, the chronic changes in, in, in the proteome with some of these acute transcriptome responses and even metabolomic responses or phosphoproteomic responses to really maybe even better understand the acute response to exercise and how that might be ultimately mediating changes in muscle size and function. This concludes today's podcast of this very nice work, Transcriptome Response of Human Skeletal Muscle to Divergent Exercise Stimuli. I would encourage listeners to read this published work in the Journal of Applied Physiology and leverage the publicly available data set as well as you design your own next steps in this important field of exercise and molecular mapping. I want to thank Dr. Dickinson and Dr. Trappy for the time today and uh, hope the listeners enjoy this.